clean audio for one week straight. It's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Gonna watch some cartoons, hopefully good ones. I'm Micah. <laughs> I'm Matsy. On this podcast, we give each other cartoons to watch and then come back and uh, recap them and discuss them. That's what we're going to do this time with a series of shorts. For example, I gave Micah an old loopy de loop cartoon. That's a Hanna-Barbera thing. And Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, which needs no introduction. And he gave me my second little Audrey cartoon, as well as a student film from Denmark called Within Without. And we will talk about that in due course. But first, we'll catch up with all the latest cartoon news in our lives. So what's new in your life, Micah? Have you seen Dodd lately? <laughs> I saw a different ad. Hey, hey, Matsy. Uh, do you miss those sugary cereals that you used to enjoy as a kid, but as an adult, you don't miss all those carbs? Yeah, the Honey Nut Cheerios just don't, they don't do it for me anymore. Oh, well, now you can balance your love of cereal and your responsibility as an adult with Animation Cellar Eel. Uh, yeah. We have a brand new cereal based on an unpopular cartoon and inexpensive license. It's mm. Bionic, Bionic Bits, ooh, 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 The show about a family of cybernetic superheroes is well represented by OD number sixes. Just like a lot of number sixes. <laughs> and you can further indulge your playful side by cutting out the mask from the back of the cardboard box. Inhabit a cartoon middle-aged man, whether it's Jack Bennett, a.k.a. Bionic One, or the nefarious and globulous Dr. Scarab. When you're low on Bions, recharge with a bowl of Bionic Bits from Animation Cellar Reel. You know, I was thinking about it and I realized the future people said that the Bionic Six were famous. Yeah. And that kind of made me think, hey, that kind of means that there are never actually going to be any more of them. There's never going to be more of a family. What? <laughs> I don't follow, I think. Like, like, there's always, like, there's six of them. Yeah. And they're never going to have any more. Oh. Like, well. Like, the kids aren't going to. Well, I guess if the kids had kids, they wouldn't necessarily be bionic. Maybe some of them move on and see, like, they, um, JD is adopted and Bungie mm. is a foster. Hmm. So, you know, maybe eventually, um, Eric and... Meg. Oh, wow. I know all their names. Uh, <laughs> maybe they go to college and they adopt some more kids, you know, and they mm. always just maintain. It's like Fantastic Four. There have to be six, six only. And <laughs> and Fluffy the gorilla doesn't count. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, so there's <laughs> speaking of Bionic Six a little bit. Um, there's kind of a confluence of that episode where we talked about Bionic 6 and the prior one with girly stuff. So yeah, we reviewed some girly shows. And then last week when we did our battle show, you uh, mentioned that Frank Welker did so many voices in Bionic 6. Yes. To the point where sometimes he was having conversa conversations with himself, right? Sure. Well, the algorithms pushed for me a show called Rose Petal Place. Hmm. In the spirit of Yes And, I watched it. It's a uh, Ruby Spears show that is hawking some uh, girly toys. Uh, basically, miniature women that have grown out from flowers. So they, they have flowers on their heads, basically. Um, okay. Yeah, the premise is that uh, there's a garden and a girl has to move away from the house of... the has the garden and when she's parting uh her tears land on a rose and give it life <laughs> yeah and they they make her into uh well she her she has such a beautiful voice that she brings the garden to life <laughs> um, okay the voice of marie osmond okay oh, so. weird <laughs> yeah um but there so so there's like a whole bunch of of women with flower heads 
toys um, to collect. Yes, and and they're insect. Well, they're they're bug friends, and their yeah. their nemesis is a pair of bugs. The 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 ones an evil spider lady. Um, hmm. and is her name Black Widow? I don't remember what her name is. Actually, wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> at any rate, she's very much like Thorn and his daughter from um, uh, herself, the elf. Right. In that she wants to get rid of um, get rid of Rose's singing voice, so <laughs> that the garden will regress and become dark and sinister. But it's kind mm. of funny that her vision of a dark, sinister garden had a whole bunch of, like, uh, thorns, which I don't think is the antithesis against someone whose whole thing is being a rose. Well, yeah. Anyway, it's it's not a good show, but to, yeah. it, had, it had no chance of being a success. I think the all the ingredients were not that great. But the one thing it has, all, I mean, all the male voices are done by Frank Welker. <laughs> So talk about being able to have conversations with yourself. It happens all through the episode, episode especially since it's kind of like how in He-Man, the creators of that show didn't really, you know, weren't really thrilled about uh, having the next action figure in their storylines. They'd rather make stories <laughs> about Orko, right? And other kind of comic relief filmation kind of characters, right? Yeah. Well, the uh, the flower women in this show... Uh, they obviously didn't care about it at all. Like they, there's not even an interesting speech pattern among them. Uh, basically, all of the interactions are given to like the sporty caterpillar, you know, and the uh, the uh, conniving fly. So <laughs> yeah, lo- lo- there's so much Frank Welker in it. <laughs> anyway, we're not ever going to look at that show properly on Animation Salary, but. Thought yeah. I'd mention it. Sure. Um, okay, so the the, uh, the other thing, I uh, I watched Turning Red from Disney oh, Pixar. I want to yeah. see that. Oh, I should probably. Oh, geez, I, I was gonna, not going to spoil anything anyway, but maybe I shouldn't color your perceptions either. Then. Hmm. Um. Well, tell you what. Hmm. Tell me if you liked it or not, and. Regardless of what you say, yeah. I will watch it uh, before the next episode and then we can have a little bit. I mean, it's still a, it's a current movie, so we shouldn't spoil it too much, but we can have a little bit more of a no. discussion. I'll say that I didn't like it as much as I had hoped. OK, I don't think it was okay. bad, just not uh, anyway. Well, I guess I'll I'll fill we'll uh, compile our details next time then. Sure. OK. Well, I guess that's my homework, or at least part of it. Watch a movie that I intended to watch anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, I guess I'm done then. <laughs> what do you got, Nancy? Right. Um, for some reason over this last week, I got into watching clips and the occasional full episode of home movies. Oh, Okay. Home movies, not like my home movies, but like the show Home Movies. It was the second. Yeah, Mm. it's the second animated series from Lauren Bouchard, who at that time was known as the creator of Dr. Katz, professional therapist, (laughs) and is since known as the creator of Bob's Burgers. All right. And so part of why I I like home movies, I've Mm. watched it before, but part of what brought me to it here was that I realized I had never watched the first season of it. I believe there were three seasons, maybe four. Um, But I'd never watched the first one. I started watching it and stopped. Let me explain. The first season is done. I think they call it squiggle vision. It's it's this animation technique where it's done digitally, but it's designed to look like each frame is drawn really differently. So like the edges of all the characters are all pixelated and wiggle around. Right. That's one thing about it. And the other thing about it is, and this is something Lauren Bouchard has always done is heavy, uh, freedom for improvised dialogue. And what I found is 
the they, they abandoned the squiggle vision aspect after the first season because they found that it was actually kind of hard to animate motion and that at the same time. Like a lot of it was just characters just sitting static, having conversations. Yeah, well, because, that, was, that was about the bulk of Dr. Katz in terms of yes. his movement. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted to up their game, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, and, and also they tightened the script a little bit as I think, I'm not 100% sure about this. I think it was Bob's Burgers where I was reading that they would allow... They had a script, but they would allow some improvisation. Like they would let the cast, you know, try their own improvised dialogue. And if it worked a bit well, then they would use it. Okay. That's Bob's Burgers. Home movies, I know that the later seasons of it, there were still some moments where there's, you know, this, the conversation sounds kind of off the cuff conversational, but it's, it's mostly moving something forward. Okay. The problem with the first season of home movies is that there will be long periods of characters talking about nothing and doing the thing where they talk over each other in a way that for some reason people seem to think, or I shouldn't say people, but makers of shows like this seem to think sounds more natural. I was going to say ahead of its time and annoying you. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's just characters talking over each other, saying nothing, not moving the plot forward while very little is happening on the screen. And I got about halfway through the first episode of the first season and shut it off again. I still couldn't do it. It's just I like home movies, but that first season from what I've seen of it, which is half an episode, is kind of unwatchable. It's got the guy who does the voice of Bob from Bob's Burgers, right? Oh, H. John Benjamin is in everything that Lauren Bouchard has ever done. What I'm going to say, that's kind of his hallmark comedically, is that talking mm. over you kind of thing, right? I guess, yeah. Yeah. He was he was the son in Dr. Katz. He was, he's Coach McGurk and Jason, Brendan's friend. Oh, I should, for anyone who doesn't know what Home Movies is, it's a show about this uh, eight-year-old boy named Brendan who wants to be a filmmaker and him and his friends, Melissa and Jason make movies every episode. It's kind of that's it's usually not the focus of the episode. It's more like what the kids are doing when normal kids would be playing. Hmm. um, Brendan and Melissa also ostensibly play soccer, although they kind of don't. They just sort of hang out with their soccer coach, Coach McGurk, and talk. Coach McGurk is H. John Benjamin, and so is Jason. John Benjamin was also, I think he was the devil in the next Lauren Bouchard series, which is kind of a little known computer animated series called Lucy, Daughter of the Devil. Hmm. Um, And then, of course, he's Bob in Bob's Burgers. And I don't think he's in Central Park, but I haven't watched very much of Central Park because I don't like it. (laughs) That's unusual for you. Not watching the series because you don't like it. <laughs> well, I I started. Okay. I thought, oh, Lauren Bouchard, I like his stuff. Let's see. And the thing about Central Park is that it's a musical, like a full on musical. Like it's uh-huh. constant songs, like um, to the extent of a more than centaur world. It's kind of like you remember when I watched the Steven Universe movie. And I said that there's so many songs that they all just blend together and mean nothing. Yeah. And that's kind of what Central Park is. It's like a couple of seconds of plot and then it stops for three minutes to sing a song. And then a couple seconds of plot and then it stops for three minutes to sing another song. And it just crept so slowly oh my God. because it kept getting interrupted by songs that I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not interested enough. And this Dude. is there's so it's. The pacing of this is so bad because it's so interrupted by songs that I just can't get into it. Mm. That might be I'm starting to think that might be a pet peeve of mine because one of my least favorite episodes of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic is Magical Mystery Cure, which had exactly that problem. 
Oh, man. You're making me think about when I tried to watch Corpse Bride. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Well, I pulled the ejector I mean, seat real fast on that one. <sighs> That's a whole other issue because Tim Burton's musical numbers are just terrible. I don't like the songs in Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, he's only a producer on those, right? So he's only well, like my I, I put my credit so that my my uh, animator could make these movies he wanted to make. But but. Hmm. Regardless, I did watch Nightmare Before Christmas after, and hmm. I watched it all the way through, but it's not like a classic to me. Same same thing, really. You it's know? it's just okay. I'm yeah. not a girl named Emily, so it's not my entire life. <laughs> but but Corpse yeah. Bride, starring a girl named Emily, unbearable. That I saw that movie in the theater. Um, oh my god! <laughs> I think I was with our friends Matthew and Sam. Okay. I think, and yeah, I walked out of that thinking like, huh? And then the more I started crystallizing with thoughts, I was like, wait a minute. That sucked. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Corpse Bride isn't very good. Central Park isn't very good. The first season of home movies isn't very good, but the other seasons are good. Huh? Sometimes you ought to sneak it in as one of my assignments because I didn't watch very much Adult Swim stuff because hmm. I was in the States and it was a hard sell to watch anime that I really liked and then have that come on. You know, it was just kind of mm. like, mm. I, I would feel like, couldn't you have just run the same episode of Big O consecutively rather than put this on? <laughs> so <laughs> I would have a very big bias against it, you know, didn't see most of the Adult Swim stuff. I'm sure that one of these days, perhaps soon, mm. I will have you watch some of home movies because it okay. is, you know, setting the first season aside, it is a decent show. All right. It has cute character designs in it. Well, I won't talk about it too much because we might end up talking about it later. But for now, I guess uh, we can move on. We've done our prerequisite uh, stalling. We can move on to watching cartoons loopy cartoons that's right loopy de loop a cartoon called bungle uncle directed by well you probably guessed it joseph barbera and william Hanna. this one in 1972 um so i think so far we've discovered in this year of animation celery that matsy has a Hanna barbera classic character niche that's fair i think <laughs> you recommend a um, lot of these kind of cartoons Maybe my taste for them was reinvigorated by how good Jellystone is. Yes. Because at the time, I don't, because at the time, I didn't really like Hanna-Barbera that much. Okay. Well, that links up. mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you've talked about Jellystone a few times. And (laughs) this is, again, me when I'm listening. Okay, I would hear names and then not have a mental image of the character. Right. So it'd be a little game for me. Like, I I think, well, what is this character? You know, eventually I look it up. But in the meanwhile, you know, I think Yaki Doodle. Yeah. What's a Yaki Doodle? Yeah, and, re- and remember, remember, there's a 50 percent chance it was a boy in the original. Well, yeah, that aside, I would think like maybe it's a yak, right? <laughs> maybe it's like a fourth musketeer to Yippy Yappy and Yahooey. And mm-hmm. then I look, it's like, oh, it's a it's a, it's a duckling. OK, OK. So then, loopy de loop. What's that? Um, I guess. Well, ninety-five percent chance it's an animal. Um, maybe it's in a gymnast outfit or something, or maybe it's a small animal on a small motorcycle or biplane or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a wolf. Okay, so yeah, I didn't know this character. Yeah, it, if I had if I had spelled out loop. L-O-U-P. Your oh, yeah, of course. Canadian French training might have kicked in. Yeah, because, he, yeah, he's a wolf, so loop like lupine, right? But anyway. Um, Lou is uh, French for wolf. Yes. And he's a French wolf. Um, okay, so Loopy de Loop is in the tradition of Hanna-Barbera character, Barbera characters. He's an animal with a couple of clothing pieces. In this case, he's a wolf with a scarf and a toque. The further tradition is having a particular speech mannerism. In this case, it's a French accent. His goal 
is to dispel the bad image wolves have as violent predators. But the world at large seems unprepared for this idea. Sometimes he has in his company uh, his more traditional wolfen nephew, Bon Bon. Okay, so this cartoon. Wolfie calls his nephew Bon Bon for the vegetable soup he's just cooked. See, uh, he'll be a vegetarian to repair perception of wolves. Bon Bon runs in with a docile lamb in his hands, announcing that he'd stolen it from a flock. To the child's shame, his uncle orders him to return the sheep. And the way that he uh, moans is very much like when Oggy Doggy expresses shame over the failures of Doggy Daddy, <laughs> um, just with a French accent. So uh, when Loopy and Bon Bon try to amiably return the lamb to the dual-classed shepherd and sheepdog, he's a sheepdog with a shepherd's crook, the wolf uncle gets punched in the nose for the trouble. The mutterings of the sheepdog, just named sheepdog on IMDb. Is that correct? Just sheepdog? Um, when I looked at this on Wikipedia, he is yeah. referred to as the swearing sheepdog. <laughs> okay. Because um, the mutterings you mentioned are like, razzle, 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 wolf. Okay. The swearing sheepdog makes it clear that he harbors a bitter prejudice against wolves. So later on, that cute lamb sneaks off to follow the wolves. That lamb is quite taken with them and won't stop following them. And it's not so easy to return the baby sheep. Heck, the sheepdog is so predisposed to hatred that he even punched Loopy while asleep. He, the sheepdog, tracks the lost lamb to the Deloop cabin. And he walks in just as Loopy is trying to act ferocious in order to scare off the lamb. This earns him a beating. Then, proactively, the sheepdog loads lit dynamite into a walking toy sheep and sends it toward Loopy's cabin. Loopy doesn't see through the facade, but true to his nature, he just turns the sheep around and ushers it to go away. It walks back and blows up next to the sheepdog. Well, that's enough subtlety. The sheepdog gets a rifle and runs after Loopy and Bonbon bon like a maniac. I don't think I've ever seen a rifle with a revolver cylinder before. <laughs> Weird design. Also, um, I said he was subtle in the way that, like, he could have just thrown that dynamite through the window, maybe. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but he loaded it into this toy sheep. It's kind of like uh, the Foghorn Leghorn cartoon where the uh, Foghorns come up and starts with the weasels hitting him on the head with a mallet. But then this whole affair of drawing a chalk line and making him walk it to prove he's not drunk. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so that lamb puts on an adult set of horns and bowls the dog off his feet in order to save the wolves he's grown so fond of. He or she, I don't know. Anyway, um, and having been rescued by the lamb, the wolves vow forever friendship. Later... The sheepdog types into an adding machine as he reviews all the details of this episode. A lamb who loves wolves and a wolf who doesn't hunt sheep? It just doesn't add up. And then he does his uh, swearing sheepdog thing. But Loopy interdicts during the sheepdog's muttering so that he doesn't curse in front of the good ones around, yes? And there you go. <laughs> okay, so first off, I watched this cartoon on Daily Motion, where it was labeled as Pixar. <laughs> um, this is a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. So you got your Dawes Butler. Mm -hmm. who, you do. I, I guess he's the male blank of, of uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoons because he voices everyone. Kind of, yeah. I mean, he voices both Loopy De Loop and Bon Bon. Mm-hmm. Maybe Bon Bon is just like Augie Doggy with the with the accent, more or less. Pretty much, yeah. It's like, you know, you hear that little kid voice, and it's like, yeah, yeah every Hanna Barbera ha has that voice yep. somewhere and in it. For the sheepdog, you got your Don Messick, who is almost as much a mainstay in these cartoons. Mm hmm. 
It's weird. You don't really hear those names outside of Hanna-Barbera, but when you're talking about Hanna-Barbera, you hear them constantly. Yeah, Don Messick is uh, Scooby-Doo most famously. Mm. And and almost every other cartoon dog. Um, <laughs> well. well ones, ones that rasp or, you know, freak out when they get a treat. <laughs> ones that... <laughs> Ones that Frank Welker was busy voicing another dog when they needed this one. Right. Actually, that was the 70s. Yeah, Frank Welker would have been busy. Like I said, I don't... Having seen this, I don't remember it. And unbelievably, there are 48 of these shorts. (laughs) That astounds me. Well, it's like I said, this was the only theatrical shorts that Hanna-Barbera ever produced. All their other shorts were for TV. So, I mean, it was kind of at the tail end of theatrical shorts existing. Yeah. Kind of the 70s was pretty much the last decade where it happened. And so, yeah, Hanna-Barbera got in real late. Although, you know, there's a whole history of Hanna-Barbera with other, you know, working for MGM and making Tom and Jerry cartoons and such. And, you know, eventually. sort, Sort of ironic since they ushered in the era of TV animation. Yeah, true. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I guess Loopy is just sort of the redheaded stepchild, you know, of like, I read that he's, he does a cameo in Laugh Olympics. So <laughs> in a cartoon about three teams that gathered virtually every property they owned to uh, be in this cartoon, he was just a guest. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one of the characters, you know, when I was watching Jellystone, yeah. A lot of the characters, I was like, was this character originally female? Nope. Because yeah. I had never heard of them. I didn't know. Right. It actually, I it, it wasn't until I read the words in the credits that I was like, what are they calling this character? Loopy, loopy. Okay. Loop. And look it up. Loopy de loop. De loop? Mm. De loop? Okay. I get it. I never watched much of any Hanna-Barbera cartoon because... For one, I felt that they, you know, weren't as good as the classic uh, Warner Brothers and MGM offerings. Mm-hmm. And also, they just weren't on TV, really. Like, Yeah, the the only ones that I really, like, remember watching on any kind of basis approaching regular would have been the Flintstones, the right. Jetsons, and the Snorks made their way in occasionally. Is the Snorks Hanna-Barbera? I think so. I'll double check that. Ruby Spears. Yeah, but like, I don't think of the Flintstones as being the same as these. In terms, that's Hanna Barbera. Okay, but like, I think of Yogi and Quick Draw Mm. and Huckleberry Mm. and Top Cat. I think of them all as being a different kind of class. You know. Mm Hmm. Even though you know they eventually integrate together in Laugh Olympics, all important Laugh Olympics. (laughs) Um, but these kinds of cartoons. They didn't run in those blocks that had, like, whatever kind of cartoon in them. Not usually, I don't think. No, Uh, they were very much sequestered to their own, you know, Yogi Bear and Friends or whatever. Well, exactly. And that was the thing, like, I don't think I started really watching any of these until maybe I was 15 or something. And they, uh, whatever station, probably YTV, was just trying to fill in a gap (laughs) um, with something cheap. So they showed the Yogi Bear show, you know, that Yogi's got it better than a millionaire. Mm, yeah, yeah, so I'd, yeah. I'd watch it occasionally, but not often because, you know, I guess I still have my bias up. And because these cartoons aren't great. <laughs> yeah, um, true. They're not. It, it, they, they really did feel pretty second rate to me. Like, I, I never really made the connection, you know, Hanna-Barbera necessarily. Yeah. But it's like. You know, you can kind of tell just you can kind of tell just for looking at it's like this is not as good as Bugs Bunny. Speaking of second rate, the music is fine in this cartoon, but am I imagining things or is it all recycled music from the Flintstones? It could be. I think it. Well, at least some of it is. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I wouldn't blame him. Hmm. Anyway, it was kind of interesting to watch something I I never knew existed. Yeah, and really. Yeah, it's all right. As a premise, just like all Hanna-Barbera car- uh, uh, 
well, of these kinds of animals wearing a couple items of clothing, kind of, hanna uh, uh, milieu. Um, the, the concept is good. The plots are sort of boring. Yeah, the first one that I thought about giving you, because I was just kind of randomly picking. Yeah. Um, there was one where the synopsis I was given was that Luby gets tired of trying to convince people that wolves are nice and uh, volunteered for a space program to be the first wolf on the moon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Logic but, follows. But that whole episode was just, it was the amateur space probe society or something. Mm-hmm. And so the whole episode was just um, Loopy going through, you know, a centrifuge and uh, uh, basically just being abused in various potential space ways. Yeah. Um, and then because it was an amateur society, their rocket didn't work and he ended up just landing on a beach. Huh. But I, I felt I felt that that one didn't really capture what Loopy de Loop was. No, I thought you were going to say that he just turned into a psychopath and just did that, all the terrible things he could. I you know what? I started to as I was explaining it, that yeah. thought occurred to me, too. Like, Mike is going to think that I'm going to say that he turned into a, <laughs> a beast. Yeah, but there's, there's just, like there's just a, after he's terrorized the town, it's just him like. With a full belly and a whole bunch of bones around him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's one where it's like, you know, he's trying to stop Little Red Riding Hood because he knows that the big bad wolf is up to no good. Or, uh, you know, th- this kind of thing. Like, just kind of, that's that's the deal. Trying to rehabilitate the um, the reputation of wolves. Hmm. Um, worth noting that in Jellystone, Loopy Deloop is a girl who works in Magilla, Magilla Gorilla's clothing store with Jabberjaw, who is also a girl. Hmm. Well, at least now I've got context for when I inevitably watch some Jellystone. Yay. You have more than I did. Heh. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I'd never seen this. I bet you'd never seen my cartoon. Not this particular one, no. I've no. seen at least one Little Audrey cartoon previously. Yes. But not this one. This is called Song of the Birds. It's a Little Audrey cartoon, a novel tune from 1949. We talked about Little Audrey previously, but mm-hmm. just a quick recap. Um, they had, uh, what was her name? Little Lulu? Was that? Right. They, the yeah, comic um, strip character. Yeah, they had, they had this one little girl and they didn't renew the license to make cartoons about her so they got they made up their own little girl based on a series of jokes about a girl who uh does dark things and laughs and laughs about it hmm. um although the, the little audrey is not so much dark well mostly well we'll get to that <laughs> well <right? laughs> yeah yeah as soon as i said it i was like wait a minute yeah. Okay, Song of the Birds. Let's explain it. This cartoon opens with Audrey doing what all good Americans do, which is playing with a gun. I knew you couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has a pellet rifle um, and she is firing it at a frying pan tied to the swaying tail of her terrified dog. And she fires it at the cuckoo in the cuckoo clock. But... When she puts a tomato on her racist black woman's head and shoots it, that uh, scares the domesticated negress into thinking she's been shot. And Audrey is admonished for playing with guns and shoved outside. You there, know, this, this woman's name is Mammy, by the way. I figured it would be because <laughs> every black woman in cartoons is named Mammy. I now I actually kind of like her and... I don't know how you redesign her if you ever wanted to. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's not as much a caricature as some black people in cartoons can be. She has like somewhat exaggerated lips, but that's yeah. kind of it. She just kind of looks like a black woman. Um, yeah, uh, she does talk. <laughs> she does talk in that kind of racist Mammy from, uh, 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 why can't I think of this movie? Gone with the Wind? That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah she kind yeah. of, it's like, oh, child, you is going to be in trouble, I tell you. 
that kind was, of thing. I was going to bring up a point that when you try to Google little Audrey, right, and you're looking at like Google images, mm-hmm. I noticed like there's a lot of her being spanked for, what, <laughs> for whatever reason, like in her comic, her comic books, she gets spanked quite a bit by her parents. And, uh, I don't know. I guess people find it funny, and that's why they collect all these spanking pics. That, that's my guess. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was looking at Mammy's design and her big, meaty hands. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, <laughs> the, the uh, spanking enthusiasts are like, oh, what a waste, man. But then I rewatched the cartoon and realized, hey, she does spank her. All right. <laughs> yeah, she does. She swats her on the butt to push her outside. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, outside, Audrey goes hunting. First, she shoots the nut out of a squirrel's hands, and the squirrel narrowly avoids being shot himself by zipping his tree hole closed. And now there's a brief interlude where a mother bird teaches her baby bird to fly, which might give you an idea of where this cartoon is heading. Mm. The little bird has an amusingly awkward time learning, but eventually figures it out and begins flying along with his mother, but that's when Audrey spots the bird and tests her aim. She hits the newly flying baby, sending it spiraling to the ground. And <laughs> yeah, and yeah at, at first, Audrey is excited to have hit a tiny airborne moving target. But when she sees the mother bird weeping over her dead baby, Audrey has second thoughts. She does not laugh and laugh. In fact, she runs and hides under the bed. That night, Audrey's sleep is troubled, and she's awakened by singing outside. She looks out the window and sees a bird funeral for the dead chick. Even flowers and a weeping willow mourn the baby, and Audrey breaks down. Squirrels are crying. A mother rabbit hugs her own baby close. Yes, there, but for before the grace of God goes she, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Audrey prays her remorse. And then, miraculously, clouds roll in and there's a rainstorm. But the rain actually wakes the stunned baby up. He's just got a nasty bump on the head, probably some brain damage, but at least he's alive. And then the rain is gone as quick as it came. Someone heard Audrey's prayers. The birds celebrate and Audrey runs outside with her gun. (laughs) Yeah. All the birds fly away and hide, but Audrey shows them she breaks her gun in half and stomps on it and smashes it to pieces. The birds are still uncertain, so she tries coaxing them out with bird seed, but they all shake their heads in unison. Dejected that the birds will mistrust her forever, Audrey sadly slogs back toward home. But the baby bird is willing to forgive and forget and comes to land on Audrey's shoulder and nuzzle her cheek. That makes all the birds rejoice and all is right with Audrey's world again for now until the next uh, pickle she winds up in. No, no signature laugh. No, no signature laugh. She uh, puts a piece of seed in her mouth and makes the baby bird kiss her. Mm. That's how this one goes off the air. Um, (laughs) so... A little more of Audrey in this. She's not as much a passenger as she was in Tarts and Flowers. No, which she's was a most... darn troublemaker. Yeah, she is. This is probably more along the lines of what Audrey does. She yeah. doesn't like... I think I... Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I saw another one where she was... I... Was it Audrey? I think it was a little Audrey cartoon where she was playing a violin. Oh, yeah. She was like... She uh, slagged off her music lessons to play baseball, and then she got hit on the head with a baseball and had this dream that she was going to, uh, she was in a music land and going to music prison for crimes against her violin. Uh, I haven't watched that one, but yeah, that is a little odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, she's kind of a tomboy. She is, yeah. Something I really like, we've talked about Little Audrey before, so I don't know how much I can add, although this is more of her that we get to see. Yeah. She's still a little bit of a passenger because she's just kind of watching this funeral. But mm. she she has more of a role in what's going on here. Something that I really liked, though, is her eyes for most of this cartoon. Right. I, I mentioned in the previous one that the shape of her eyes combined with the shape of her head looked kind of weird to me. But yeah. when you reduce her irises down to little pinpoint pupils. Yeah, it's. 
it's a really amusing look. They kind of have a weird angle. Her oval eyes, they like yes, angle they outward do. a little bit. Um, yeah. She looks so stunned. Like just the thumbnail for this cartoon is just her with a rifle and these like pinpoint eyes <laughs> just bugging out like ooh. It's <laughs> it's an amusing look. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to make a bold statement. I'm yep. not I I don't care for animal cruelty. But Yeah, like, no. But like a lot of terrible things, I can find like the dark stuff hilarious and make believe. And yeah, just her her terrible disposition at the start and like just how grim and overblown that funeral is or like mm-hmm. the mama bird. She like d- to test whether a baby bird is alive, lifts the wing and the wing just limply falls back down. You know? Yeah, she she shakes the bird and said, wake up, wake up. And like the head's yeah. like rolling around limp. Yeah, I thought what was going to happen was Audrey was going to run back home. And then the baby bird was going to wake up and she would yeah. never find out that the bird was OK. Right. I didn't realize that the point of this cartoon was the funeral. Oh, my but, God. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it, it is dark. And again, and like you, like animal cruelty is not OK. <laughs> um, yeah, it. I mean, there's a Simpsons episode that has the same plot in it. Right. Um, but. Yeah, this is it was nice to see some more of little Audrey, like doing little Audrey things. It seems in the three little Audrey cartoons I've watched, she doesn't really do much. No, If you're looking for her to like be like Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck, not so much. Right. She doesn't get no. wacky like that. Um, no, it just seems like more... she's put in predicaments, either fantastical or realistic. Yeah, that she has to deal with. Yeah. And so- sometimes you get. They're, they're not all made equal. I, I have watched other ones and I just thought, well, you know, this is OK. But the, given my sense of humor, I like the ones that are really dark. <laughs> so I, I have another one in reserve for the future. But oh, I probably, okay. I probably I probably won't curse you with three straight uh, Audrey cartoons for our shorts. But sometimes sometime in the far future. OK, I'll, I'll watch it. I. I I do enjoy these little Audrey cartoons like mm. I enjoy most cartoons, really. There's not a lot of them that I'm like, oh, I'm not going to sit through this garbage. Hmm. I wonder if there is a character that as soon as I see it, I'm like, no. Th- well, Family Guy. But oh, as far sure. as there's, there's more than you think. If I, if I gave you the blue racer again, that <laughs> I would watch it just like, how are they going to over the top racist eyes this Japanese beetle this time? Yeah, but uh yeah, Little Audrey's pretty cool. And hmm. this was a fun little cartoon to watch. Um, What was next? Oh, birds getting shot. Yes. What? <laughs> birds getting shot. Well, getting, yeah, shooting. There's lots of shooting in this. That, that Okay, mm-hmm. fine. Uh, Duck Dodgers in the 24 and a half century. Um, oh, can I? Yeah. What, um, one quick what thing. I, yeah, yeah. I realized too late that yeah. this actually wasn't the cartoon that I meant to give you. Oh, yeah? It, it was my first thought when I was thinking about shorts, but then I found two other ones. One was uh, the Loopy De Loop, and the other one, I guess I'll have to hold in reserve, because then when it time came time to say them during the podcast recording, oh, yeah. I, I guess I just kind of panicked and went to the first thing I thought of instead of what I actually had planned. So... I guess you trained it in your mind by continually screaming it through episodes. Duck Dodgers in the 24 and a half century. Yeah, but yeah. But anyway, there is another cartoon that I'm going to give you that I was supposed to give you for this week. That I will give you next time. All right. Well, this one, the one at hand, the one on my plate is directed by Chuck Jones. And hey. we'll give credit co-directed by Maurice Noble from 1953. And uh, some background on this. You all know who Daffy Duck is, right? Well, this persona is Duck Dodgers and the 24 and a half century. Also the name of this cartoon. It's a spoof on Buck Rogers in the 25th century, an old-fashioned space hero adventure. Irrepressible Porky Pig is his sidekick, the eager young space cadet. And his nemesis is Marvin Martian, that little alien weirdo in the Corinthian helmet and tennis shoes. We start at the 1,700th floor 
of a tall futuristic building in outer space land. Duck Dodgers walks through high security that includes a big psychedelic eye <laughs> in order to meet Dr. IQ, first name High, the secretary of the stratosphere. Did you notice that? The spelling? Of stratosphere? Yeah. No. It's got no H. Stratosphere? I think it's just an accident. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just an accident that it's not uh, a play on anything. Anyway. Yeah. Dr. IQ briefs Dodgers on his mission. The supply of aluminum Fostex, the shaving cream atom, is alarmingly it's, low. Hmm? It's eludium. Eludium? Oh, sorry. Eludium Fosdex. Okay. At any rate, shaving cream. It's low. So the last resource of it is on planet X, an unknown space. When he accepts the mission, the duck leaps up to pronounce his identity, Duck Dodgers of the 24th and a half century. And then he falls off the platform from a great height. No matter. Uh, one teleport ride later, he's at his rocket. He shouts his name and title again, reverses the rocket into the ground, then properly takes off. While traveling, he outlines the flight path on the map. It's all nonsense, but Cadet Porky supplies the logic of simply following the alphabetized planets until they get to X. You see, there's a bunch of planets, each with a prominent white letter on its surface. Um, I didn't remember this joke. When uh, So when he starts drawing the diagram, I was thinking, is he drawing a Jesus fish? <laughs> I thought that too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, just as he's claiming the planet for Earth, Daff, uh, Daffy, uh, Duck Dodgers, that is, Marvin Martian arrives too and plants his flag for Mars. When Marvin threatens with his disintegration pistol, Dodgers feels confident on the protection of his disintegration-proof vest. It survives the shot, but Daffy, in his entirety, is disintegrated. Eager Cadet revivifies him, with his integrating pistol. The ungrateful Dodgers tries to get revenge with his disintegrating pistol, but it, the pistol itself, disintegrates. And it's Cadet again to the rescue, blowing up Marvin with a stick of dynamite. This series of disintegration gags I did remember because it was the perfect amount of sophistication for me as a young child. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just perfect. That the did best... you notice? Oh, go yeah. ahead. Sorry, I'm interrupted. Please continue. No, I, d I did notice. But yeah, um, yeah, the, the, the vest <laughs> doesn't protect him. He just disintegrates. In, you know, the vest is perfectly fine. And then, then he brums up with a pistol and he blusters, you know, hey, brother, does it disintegrate? And it falls apart. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's perfect. And um, were you going to say that... Uh, Marvin's pistol was from A1 and uh, the Duck Dodgers and Cadets items were from Acme? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, most of them don't work right, but um, as compared to Roadrunner cartoons, I think the Acme materials have a higher success rate here. Well, I mean, the disintegrating run gun does what it says. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so Daffy gets the worst out of a couple more exchanges with Marvin, and their battle escalates to each uh, Dodgers and Marvin using their most potent weapons aboard their rockets. Each cannon launches out a plug that then spreads out to a, note of, a net of explosives that embeds into Planet X. When all the bombs blow, it leaves only enough room for Daffy to stand upon. Porky and Marvin dangling from the roots underneath the itty-bitty rock that is all that is left of Planet X. Okay. Hmm. First off, when I was making notes for this, I made a funny mistake. I screwed up my pigs, ironically enough. What? Yes. I, I assumed that Porky's name in this... Porky's name is just Eager Young Cadet. Yes. Uh, I thought oh. his name was Decoy. Decoy. Yes. <laughs> yes. That uh, that crossed my mind as well. I I didn't screw wow. it up, but like wow. I remembered. Well, it's a great name. Decoy. You, you tell him. 
Okay, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, a cartoon with uh, younger versions of all the Looney Tunes. Uh, Plucky Duck is being a parody of Batman, and he has Hampton J. Pig as his sidekick as a parody of Robin, but his name is Decoy in that cartoon. As you say, great. Yes. <laughs> and I, It's really funny. He's got a big bullseye on his chest and everything. Yeah, there's a theory about that. Um, so Batman has, has said once that the reason why he has this big yellow bat silhouette on his chest Mm -hmm. is because it's the most armored part of his costume and criminals just psychologically shoot at the yellow thing instead of his unprotected face. Right. But, uh, fans have noticed like, wait a minute, (laughs) He's dressed his sidekick in these garish colors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of pigs, this is squarely in that era where Chuck Jones adapted Porky and Daffy's relationship. Originally, uh, with the the uh, Daffy who lives up to his namesake, and he's like leaps around and goes woo hoo woo He is. Porky's foil. Porky is like the uh, well-meaning by the book kind of character, but Daffy's always screwing everything up. But at this era, Daffy is the one who's earnestly trying to do things, but Porky is just like seamlessly capable. Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe it was that uh, Robin Hood and Friar Tuck cartoon that changed the relationship. Where, oh. uh, yeah, where Daffy keeps losing the quarterstaff duel against him. <laughs> what do you think? Do you, do you like this, this way better where Porky is just this like oblivious, um, but capable entity that contrasts I, against Daffy's uselessness? I think having a capable sidekick who kind of keeps things moving, but not enough that the hero is actually effective mm. is more interesting than a straight man to be abused. That's right. He's just kind of a schlamozzle usually, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, also, this, I think, is the first Porky Pig cartoon we've watched. He makes a very brief appearance in um, The Great Piggy Bank Robbery. But, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, if we don't count that of him pi- mm. uh, driving the trolley. Um, oh, right. Yes. Now... I've watched recently some of the uh, new Looney Tunes episodes. Mm-hmm. So they have made new cartoons that are sort of a continuation of this sort of cartoon. Right. Um, I don't like them very much, but it seems like they revert the relationship back to where Daffy, uh, m- you know, makes those noises and mm. acts like a general troublemaker and... Porky Pig is very much put upon. Yeah, I think I've seen a clip of that. Like they were in a car and I can't remember what happened, but it was Daffy being annoying somehow. Yeah. Anyway, I guess we'll review those in the future, but uh, for what it's it's worth, they also made a half hour animated series of Duck Dodgers. Oh, yes, which I have not watched very much of or neither. I I don't know if I've seen a full episode of it. I have seen clips, but I don't think I've watched an episode. Huh. You know, if any stalkers have and think we should have a look at it, you should let us know. Um, I know that the Queen of the Martians, I think her name is Tir Ani. Um, yeah, that sounds right. That she was sort of like a cartoon sex symbol for a little while. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. For me. No face, all body. Yep. Sounds well, about right. Yeah, that, that's a weird sticking point for me. Like, I don't know. A lack of facial features kind of just <laughs> kills it for me. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, here's a design question for you. Yes. So the costumes for Duck Dodgers and Eager Young Space Cadet have antennae. Yes. That thing at the top, is that a sphere or a disc? Huh. I 
I hadn't really thought about it, but now that I'm just kind of my gut instinct thinking back on it is to yeah. regard it as a disc. Me too. We never see it turn. I, I was looking very carefully when Daffy changes the angle of his head and it always remains a circle, but that could just be like a rule of cartoon silhouettes. Yeah. It also, I'm just trying to think like, I bet if there's would, a toy, it would look like a disc. Would a transparent sphere on top of an antenna be considered futuristic in the 50s? <laughs> I don't know, man. Hmm. Just a little weird thought that came to mind. Yeah. Um, interesting. Also revisiting this cartoon, I also uh, was looking at the weird design elements and thinking of in the context of uh, Captain Hoek and Cadet Stimpy. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously influenced by this, I think. Probably. But these, this cartoon is plenty weird on its own without being spoofed. I like how Planet X, everything is X-shaped, like it's an X-shaped tree, yeah, X-shaped a, landscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty fun. Um, the uh, Wherever Daffy is, if it's like just outside of Earth on those really tall buildings, that place is pretty funny and weird looking. The, mm-hmm. the apparatus for launching the rocket is plenty weird. It's um, a Tesla coil, I think they call it, right? Those uh, long wires that have an electric current that goes up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like more nonsense going on to the left <laughs> of it, too. <laughs> Futuristic nonsense. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, this is a classic for a reason. You know, I yep. like it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, boy, oh boy, how do we, how do we, <laughs> by contrast, um, that's a classic. How about something that is relatively new? Yeah. So you gave me another cartoon called Within Without. This is a student project made at the VIA or VIA. I'm not sure. Uh, University College in Denmark. How about that for a name? University College. Yeah, I know. I I had to like Google, like go a little deeper than just the initial Google to be like, what? Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, this is from 2018. And this is kind of like Toonsy in that I don't really want to like recap the whole thing. Because it's oh, yeah. some some independent animators were, I mean, a student animator, not even a, you know, maybe they're a professional animator by now. But at the time, it's just a student project. And I don't want to just steal their thunder when I could just direct you to watch it on YouTube because it's there within without. It's I know you think you're going to get a lot of Beatles, but you actually don't get as much Beatles <laughs> as you think. Right. Um, so, yeah, this without going into too much detail on this. It's this night lady trying to get through this black blob. Um, but really, this strikes me as a cartoon about social anxiety. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, um, it's open it, enough that anyone can like, I've, I've seen people talk about various traumas, too. Mm hmm. But I, I, yeah, my instinct is the same as yours. Well, I am an introverted person. Like one of the, like, I know, you know, I'm here doing a podcast and I hang out with my friends and stuff, but like there was a comic that somebody drew about being an introvert. Was it a comic or a, it might've been both, but it was basically about being an introvert. And it kind of said, it's sort of like playing soccer. You could be really good at playing soccer. You could really enjoy playing soccer but it's really tiring and you need to take regular breaks. You can't just play soccer all the time. And to an introverted person, that's what social interaction is like. Like I, I like to think that I'm pretty good at hanging out with people, like being good company. I like my friends. I love my friends. I like hanging out with my family and friends and, and people in general, but it takes a lot of energy out of me and I need to go home and be by myself and recharge for a while. And so I was sort of thinking about that as I'm watching this, where this this person is just like fighting their way through social interaction, basically. And I think this is a little more a little deeper than that. Like it's more uh, um, 
trauma. I mean, I don't want to say traumatic necessarily, but there's like a defense. It's not right. like me, like, oh, I just need to, I just need to go be away from people for a while and calm down. This is more like putting up a shield and like actively blocking people out. Right. So maybe it is more social anxiety than just, you know, introversion, but it did kind of resonate with me. And it's a, it's a good depiction of that. Right. Um, we don't want to make it sound like it's, it's a drag. It's no, no, know, it's, nice to it's, look at. yeah, it's cool. It's well animated. It looks nice coming into it directly after little Audrey. It was like, oh, wow. 1080p after watching, you know, oh, right. 460p. It was like, oh, my gosh, preserved. it's yeah, yeah. It's like, wow, yeah. the lines are sharp. Um, <laughs> it's the frame rate of the animation is a little bit on the low side, but, you know, sometimes. Yeah. But hey, these are students. Let's see if you thought this also, uh-huh. the, what I thought here. Um, okay, given the look of the main character mm-hmm. and the look of the adversary, this, like, goopy nemesis, mm-hmm. did it conjure thoughts of the centaur world and Rider versus the Nowhere King? You know, it didn't, but, wow. like, you, you saying that, uh, you know what, it, you know, it's weird that you say that. Yeah. Because Centaur World is something that I watched and really enjoyed and really got into and I am rarely not thinking about. Yeah. But the thing that this most brought into my mind was the video game Dark Souls, which I have not played to any significant degree. But it's an armored figure against a boss, I guess. There's (laughs) there are multiple instances of having to get across a bridge and there's a big monster there. Hmm. At least in the clips of it that I've seen. As I said, I haven't played a lot of Dark Souls a little bit at the beginning, but uh, I always mean to, but there's... I don't really I don't... care for it. No? No, I, I only played a little bit myself as well. Mm-hmm. And then the way that the attack followed through and you're trapped in that animation, I thought, oh, I hate the way this feels. Yeah. And I just kind of put it down. But Fair enough. Yeah. So that's weird. But but like you saying, comparing it to Centaur World, it's like I totally get it because you're right. Right. Like it is very much, you know, the Nowhere King is very similar, like yeah, goopy it, it, blob thing. After I watched it the first time, I looked it up thinking like, oh, this this must be a like animator in Ontario, right? That worked on that show. No, nope. <laughs> couldn't be further. Well, pretty darn far, at least from Ontario. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew just looking at the names in the credits. I was like, yeah. oh, I I knew it was Scandinavian. And then turns out it's Denmark. <laughs> that follows one of my trends is giving you impossible names to say. <laughs> I, actually, not so much. The director is Patricia, but it's spelled. I think it's Patricia's how you'd say it. P-A-T-R-Y-C-J-A. And then I had Patricia. Google at least try to pronounce. Yeah. Smack for the last name. C-M-A-K. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I guess the long story short is, I'm sure Micah and I will both link to this on our Twitters. Yeah. Um, It's a worthwhile uh, way to spend some of your time. Just watch this little cartoon and think of your own interpretation. Is it about anxiety? Social anxiety? I think so. I think that's pretty obvious. But hey, you can think it's whatever you want it to be. Right. Hmm. And with that, uh, how about we think about next week, which will also be whatever you want it to be, which is to say it's what Micah got a good idea for. And I was all on board. Well, Micah had the germ of it and then I fleshed it out. Yeah, it's a cooperative process. Yeah. Um, Next week, we're going to be looking at the start of a two parter. We're going to be doing this over two episodes. Yeah. But we're going to start with the second part. What's the deal with that? Okay, so your half of this idea was, what if we watch some new version of something previous, like a sequel or a reboot or a reimagining or something like that? Yeah. And I said, yeah, that's an awesome idea. Oh, what if we then do another part where we watch the original version? Hmm. And so that's what we're doing. Next week, we're going to watch something, a new version of something. And then the following week, 
we will watch the older version of it. So when no, we, not, we to hmm? clarify, I want to I want to give you a lot of freedom here. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the original, but at least an older version. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, actually, you know what? That is a good distinction because of what I have in mind for you. Yes. All right. Okay, so with all that in mind, Matsy, this is what I have for you to watch. An episode of Batman, The Brave and the Bold, The Last Bat on Earth. Okay. I was pretty scared you were going to give me Mega Man Powered Up or whatever it's called. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I may have seen bits of that, but, uh, not to any significant degree, but for you, Mm -hmm. how about this? This is the newer thing that we're watching first. Yep. I want you to watch. Now this is important to get this title, right? Dorothy and the wizard of Oz. Oh, Dorothy wizard of Oz. Okay. Not just the Wizard of Oz, not the wonderful Wizard of Oz or anything like that. This is specifically Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Pretty rockin'. Yeah, specifically, um, this is one of those shows that has half-sodes. Okay. This is season one, episode two, and the two pieces of it are called Toto Unleashed. (laughs) Okay. And Official Ozian Exam. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm already excited, at least from the prospect of the stable of cartoons I have to pick from to go prior to that. But (laughs) first things first, I'm going to check out your goodies. Hey. So uh, look forward to that, everyone. Wow, this is a short show because we we both had to truncate things. Um, Yeah, well. Yeah, so be it. Uh, In the meanwhile, everybody out there, all you stalkers... Let us know what you think of the show. Tell us what to watch. Give us things to talk about. And you can find me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. I am AC Matsy on Twitter. And make sure that you tell other people about this podcast, too. If you tell us something to watch and then we talk about it, you can brag to your friends that we did the thing you said. <laughs> I'm AC Matsy on Twitter. And now it's Dorothy and the Celery Stalker slogan. Santa Branson, no good Braston, Braston Wolves. Let us hope that that is the end of that.